This episode of the Oz Movie Geek podcast is sponsored by Kix. Kix is an online film and television retailer specializing in the latest Sony, Universal, and Paramount films and television shows. You can use the exclusive code OZGEEK15 to receive 15% off your order. Thank you to the wonderful team at Kix. Now to the review. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the Oz Movie Geek podcast. I'm your host, Pado. Today I'll be doing a review of Edgar Wright's latest directorial effort, Last Night in Soho, a film I've been anticipating for quite some time. I'm a big Edgar Wright fan. I really like his directorial style. I like that he comes across as a really relatable figure in Hollywood. He's obviously just a really big film fan, and I'm a big film fan, so I can kind of relate to him in that sense. I follow him on Instagram, or Facebook, and Twitter, I think all three platforms, and I just find him to be a really relatable dude. I tweeted to him after I saw this film, and he liked my tweet, which is just really cool. I like that he comes across as just a guy who really likes what he does and treats it like a passion, which is what it should be. Uh, his films previously, including the Cornetto trilogy, we've got Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, The World's End. All three films are perfect films, in my opinion. All 10 out of 10. Uh, I love Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. It's a fantastic film. I rewatched it in 4K recently. Um, his TV show Spaced, which is what he started with, is quite fun. I do like it. And if you're aware of some of the inside jokes and references, you'll enjoy it a little more. Uh, Baby Driver was one I found to be a little overrated. I like the film, but I do find that it does possess a lot of qualities that I think fans, you know, are, are really they, they really love, but they don't realise that he's done these things better in other films. And it sort of came across as a very pseudo-reaction to this type of film. Baby Driver is really good. It's a really well-made film, but I feel Edgar Wright's done this sort of thing better before. Um, and Last Night in Soho, I guess, follows that trend of it's still a really enjoyable film and it's incredibly well made, but it's just some of the writing elements where I feel like they're a little weaker, and that was my issue with Baby Driver when it first came out. I, I do really like this film, though. I feel like it's a very strong film. It's quite well written. Um, there's some underdevelopments with some of the characters, especially with some revelations in the third act. But I really did enjoy more so the aesthetic of the way that this film looks. It comes down to how everything's put together. We have fantastic cinematography, uh, beautiful costume design, wonderful soundtrack. Uh, the soundtrack here is really good. Edgar Wright is a lover of music as much as he is a lover of film. So a lot of the song choices here are very personal um, and that, I guess, elevates a lot of the sequences because you know these songs were probably chosen if not before these scenes were written, you know. Edgar Wright could be sitting there and thinking, oh, I'm going to put this song in a scene and write a scene around the song, which is really cool. I, I just really like the way that he incorporates these elements into his films and Last Night in Soho is a classic example of that. He is such a intuitive filmmaker, and I just love the way that he, you know, puts everything on screen. It's a bit of a shame that this film is flopping at the box office, and I don't know if it's because the Edgar Wright's name still isn't a massive pull. 
I, I want to say that that's not the case because Baby Driver did quite well and Baby Driver didn't have, you know, big name stars to pull in audiences. We had Ansel Elgort as the lead. He's a good actor, but he's not a really, a, you know, a name draw. You also had like Jamie Foxx, Kevin Spacey, evil Kevin Spacey, but this was prior to the Me Too accusations against him. Um, well, not accusations, they're actual charges now, but I'm not going to talk about that here. Um, basically, Kevin Spacey's a scumbag. But as far as his name, I don't know if that's, yeah, a, a, a problem that's still faced in Hollywood where people are like, oh, I don't really know Edgar Wright. The marketing for the film it had some really gorgeous prints, like the posters were really good looking. Um, I actually ordered the vinyl soundtrack because the poster art was the cover of the vinyl and it looked really cool. And I just thought that would be a nice addition to my vinyl collection. But yeah, the film's not doing very well at the box office. And I, I, again, I don't know if it's because of that or maybe the film was marketed as a horror film and it's definitely not scary. And I'm not saying that, like, I, I know I'm a horror fan and I'm a bit desensitized to all of that. But the film itself definitely is not scary in the slightest. It's got some mystery to it and there's like a jump scare, which, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but as far as the actual horror elements, it's very limited. So I don't think that it was marketed correctly, which is a bit of a shame because I know Edgar Wright's quite involved with all processes when it comes to his films. Um, Universal and Focus Features, I believe, picked this film up. So... Yeah, don't, don't really know why it's flopping as hard as what it is. I mean, his films have never been a huge box office draw. The World's End, I remember when it came out, it made like $26 million in the US, which sounds like a lot of money, but in the film industry it was quite weak. And I remember when it came out, I was thinking, I thought that his clout in Hollywood would have been a little higher now because everyone knows Shaun of the Dead, everyone knows Hot Fuzz, both films not performing too well in cinemas, but Shaun of the Dead was like a massive DVD seller. I remember that. Um, it was like a, a record break of the year it came out on DVD. But yeah, just really, really surprising that his films don't haven't really caught on to that American audience uh, or audiences worldwide, really, and it's a bit of a shame. Um, but yeah, it didn't perform very well at the box office, which is a bit of a shame because it's one of the better films I've seen this year. Um, it's not perfect, but it is a really, really strong film. So that's my introduction to Last Night in Soho. I won't talk too many spoilers, but I'll give that warning just in case you haven't seen it yet. So you've been warned. Um, but yeah, let's get stuck into this one. So take it away, trailer. Sandy. 
gift. I can see people, places, things others can't. This is the closest most people ever get to their dreams. They're not just dreams. Jack, I don't want to do this. You think you can just walk away? They really happened. What did you see? Do you believe in ghosts? I want to report a murder. You witnessed the murder last night, but you believe this was a vision from the past. The guy that killed her is still out there. I have to stop him. You did. I've done a lot of things. You're gonna have to be more specific, love. You can't save me. So, Last Night in Soho was co-written by Edgar Wright and Kristen Wilson-Cairns. Uh, and was directed by Edgar Wright and stars Thomas and Mackenzie, Enya Taylor Joy, uh, Matt Smith. We also have Michael Ajo, who I hadn't seen in anything prior to this film, which was interesting. He was quite a talented young man. Um, and Terence Stamp. And the film follows an aspiring fashion designer who is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer played by Enya Taylor Joy. But the glamour is not all as it appears uh, to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something much darker. Uh, so that's the general premise. So we have Thomas and Mackenzie playing a character um, called Eloise, and Anya Taylor Joy playing a character called Sandy. Uh, essentially, every night that Thomas and Mackenzie goes to sleep, she sees um, Sandy, played by Anya Taylor Joy. Um, in Soho and essentially we're following her as she's trying to become a singer but she's having to do a lot of ugly deeds um, at the behest of Matt Smith's character Jack Um, and it divulges into this uh, mystery you know what's going on and what happened to Sandy and that's the general premise so the visual cues um, a lot of the time has to do with the neon lighting. So uh, where Eloise uh, Thomas and Mackenzie's character is living, uh, the you know neon lights uh, shroud her and she wakes up in the 1960s. And what she's seeing there starts to take over her own life where she's starting to dress like Sandy. Um, she's completely changing her appearance and her outlook and everything. And, yeah, it's sort of encapsulating her life, but she's incredibly immersed in the the world of Sandy. And, yeah, like I said, it's completely taking over her life. But she's realising that these might not be dreams when she falls asleep as she's starting to see the real-life locations in the streets she's living in now. And, yeah, it starts to become a bit of an obsession, but the ghosts of this past, um, a lot of men who we think um, are the ones who have been sexually assaulting Sandy potentially are now haunting um, Thomas and Mackenzie, and we're not really sure what's going on. And that's sort of the the premise of the film, um, and it's at the backdrop of Thomas and Mackenzie's character Eloise being a, 
uh, fashion designer and that's the you know the the main uh, plot thread that we follow now what i like about the film like i said is it's a very gorgeous looking film uh the cinematography is fantastic uh, it's done by chung hoon chung um, who is the cinematographer behind Old Boy, The Handmaiden, Stoker, uh, even did the cinematography for It. Uh, fantastic uh, cinematographer, uh, absolutely fantastic. It's such a good-looking film. The shots are just so well done, and there's so many intricacies behind you know, blending a lot of the sequences. There's a great sequence where Jack and Sandy are dancing, and then we cut between Sandy dancing with Jack and Eloise. And it's done in a way where it looks like it's all one take. And I'm sure there's cuts in there, but they're transitioning the dances from Eloise to Sandy quite seamlessly. And it's just through the movement of the camera that they're able to hide those potential transitions. But it's such a good looking film. Like all of that just blends so well into what we're seeing on screen. And it does really take you, you know, a, a while to adjust when you're watching the film because you're just looking at it and you're just so immersed in this beautiful world that Edgar Wright's able to create. Um, and he does such a good job with that. It's just a, a culmination of just choosing the right people behind him to create his vision. And there's no doubt in my mind that this is 100% the type of film that Edgar Wright wants to make. Um, if you're familiar with the whole Edgar Wright Marvel debacle, uh, Edgar Wright had written a fair few drafts of the Ant-Man script and was set to be the director of that film as well. But due to creative differences between him, Disney, and Marvel, um, the writer-director, Edgar Wright, parted ways with the studio because he wasn't getting what he wanted to to be um, the central plot of, of that film. And I can see a lot of that frustration because we've seen a lot of directors with the Disney-Marvel and even Star Wars model where they're not able to actually make the films that they really want to make because they're, you know, in that studio system. And Edgar Wright, for the most part, has tried his best to stay away from it. Sure, each of his films, like, have been made by, you know, working title films, uh, Universal made Scott Pilgrim, but each of the films feel very stylistic and familiar with what Edgar Wright does. Like, I watched Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, and there's so many gags in that film that would be 100% just Edgar Wright saying, I want to include this there. Like, there's a Seinfeld gag. You know, there's little references all over the place in that film, and it feels very much like a Edgar Wright-directed property, and that's what I get with The Last Night in Soho. Like, the film feels like Edgar Wright's vision, and it's nice to see a director be able to do that in this modern landscape in Hollywood, especially as a studio film. You know, Focus Features might not be a huge studio, but it's still a studio. So it's really cool to see that um, brought to life here. And I think he does a really, really good job um, as a director. Like, it, it's a really good-looking film, and yeah, he, he's he's very talented behind the camera. The performances, for the most part, are pretty good. I thought Anya Taylor-Joy was a standout, and she steals a lot of the sequences she's in. It's just her presence. Like, she's become one of the best actresses in Hollywood. And it's funny because, you know, five years ago when the Vich or the Witch, however you want to say it, um, I go with the traditional title of the Vich, um, but she was fantastic in that film and she gave off this vibe to me where I'm like, ah, I can see this girl going places. She's really, really good here. And it's funny because similar effect to what Florence Pugh's had, you know, everyone's talking about Florence Pugh in like Little Women or, or Black Widow. 
Um, no one's talking about her performances prior to those big, you know, like her horror debut, really, like Midsummer and um, even Fighting With My Family, which isn't a horror film, but a film that no one's seen. So it's pretty funny, and I, I see that with Anya Taylor-Joy too. People are like, oh, I love her. She's so good. It, where did you see her, though? And they're like, oh, Queen's Gambit. No one talks about, you know, Thoroughbreds, uh, The Vich, um, you know, she, she's been in so much uh, prior to that, but no one really knows that side of her, which is, um, I mean, it's it's what people see. It just annoys me a little when people are like, oh, they, this actress is fantastic. And you're like, oh, yeah, w- what have you seen her in? Oh, she, she was really good in the most mainstream thing possible. Okay, but have you seen her in XYZ? Like, it, I don't know, it's a little complaint of mine, but it's something that I found more so recently. Like, Anya Taylor-Joy was even in Morgan, which is, I, I guess... After the the bitch, they came out around the same time. But Morgan's such a an interesting film too, and she's so captivating in that film because she plays such a interesting character, and you don't really know what's going on. And that that film is actually highly underrated. Um, but yeah, in in terms of her performance here, when she's on screen, she does steal a lot of the film, and that that's too because Thomas and Mackenzie's character is meant to be very. She's a bit standoffish. She's a little nervous. She's been thrust into this world not entirely knowing what is real and what's not so when she's you know dealing with her own personal issues she was raised by a grandma as a mum committed suicide so she's all alone um in the big city and she's you know calling her grand which is really sweet i like their relationship it's not explored nearly enough i would have liked a little more time with the two of them just to establish that relationship a little more but it's really sweet to think that she's got that relationship. But she comes across as a very innocent and very, um, I, I don't want to say shrouded because she she obviously has, she doesn't have this worldly vibe about her because she's grown up in a small country town. She's now living in London and everything has completely changed for her. Um, there's a few of the bitchy girls that she's going to college with and she's not really getting along with them and, it all divulges from that and she's sort of, yeah, all alone. So when she's going through what she's going through, she feels very alone because she can't really talk to anyone about it because of the person she is. So when she witnesses what she believes to be the murder of Sandy by this Matt guy and she's got an inkling that um, Terrence Stamp might be the, you know, Jack, Matt Smith's character all grown up, but we find out that he wasn't. He was actually a detective, um, you know, looking into murders around that specific time period. Uh, so we think that the story is going one way, and then we get a third act twist, a twist that I was kind of expecting. I knew there had to be something else to the story because it was way too obvious about Terrence Stamp and who he was. And I was like, oh, I hope that that's not the reveal because it is incredibly obvious. But the film takes a different twist. And a twist that, I, like I said, I was expecting something. Wasn't entirely expecting what I got. Uh, and the twist does work in the context of the film. It was completely fine. And like I said, it kind of elevates that third act. Because the third act in general was kind of frustrating. Um, so Eloise um, meets a boy who's quite nice to her. And she brings him back to her room. Um, but when she enters the room, she witnesses what she thinks is Sandy's murder and she starts screaming and the landlady who she's living with um, uh, takes that as the boy that's with her is like assaulting her, uh, scares him away and I felt a bit sorry for him in that whole sequence and she doesn't, the irritating thing about Eloise is in those situations, she doesn't really speak up 
and that sequence is completely forgotten about because when she goes back to fashion school, she keeps seeing this, what what she thinks is going on, um, and it's starting to affect her day-to-day life. It's not just at nighttime anymore. And the way that that boy reacts, he's inc- incredibly forgiving of her, and I find that a little frustrating because she put him in an incredibly difficult position and he's still like, oh, no, I'm okay. Like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I've, I, she, he's a lovely guy, but unrealistically lovely. If I was put in that situation, I would not be as forgiving as what he is. Um, but, yeah, I, I find the way that the film divulges into some of its darker and deeper themes, especially, I, I suppose, the climate that it's being released into now that, we are a very PC culture and a lot of, you know, the reactions you get online these days with a few comments here and there and you have to be very mindful of what you're saying and what you're doing and you, you can't speak as freely, I suppose, as what you could have maybe 10 years ago. Now, I'm not condoning, you know, any um, irresponsible and, and, you know, inappropriate remarks, not at all, but... What I'm what I'm suggesting is that it's an interesting climate for Edgar Wright to you know release this film because there's a little commentary around that uh, that could be dissected from some of the messaging that's in the film, especially surrounding like that sequence I just described. Then, but it's just interesting that the film hasn't seemed to have garnered that attention that I was expecting it would surrounding that in particular, which is interesting, and I, I suppose it's positive too in the sense that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that that's a bad thing, but it's just interesting that this film isn't getting those articles like um, Edgar Wright tackles feminism or anything like that. There's none of that here. And um, the film and Edgar Wright have managed to steer pretty clear away from that messaging, which is good because it makes the film feel more inclusive as well. Uh, But, yeah, I I did find the film to just be incredibly engaging. Uh, It's relatable in the sense that, Thomas and Mackenzie's character is like your everyday character. There's a little dark humor uh, thrown in here and there too, which elevates a lot of the sequences with her. She's the weaker out of the two, and it's a shame that the characters weren't switched around because she gives across that creepy vibe, uh, especially later in the film. There's a Halloween costume party, and she's got like smeared makeup on her face, and she looks quite, quite terrifying, and I think she could have being, you know, the the Anya Taylor-Joy character of Sandy and um, Anya Taylor-Joy could have actually played Eloise, uh, just switching those roles around because I would have liked to have spent more time with Anya Taylor-Joy on on screen because she's really, really good in the film. Uh, the supporting cast are all really good too, though. Matt Smith is good. Sam Claflin shows up as well uh, in a very brief performance, uh, like a blink-and-you'll-miss-him kind of performance. Uh, Terrence Stamp's always really good. He adds that gravitas. Uh, it's cool to see genre actors like him in a film like this. But yeah, overall, guys, this is a really entertaining film. Uh, it's not as good as the Cornetto trilogy, but very few films are. I liked it a little better than Baby Driver because, like I said, I, I felt that Baby Driver was kind of overrated, but I really, really enjoyed this film. And I think on repeat viewings, this film's going to grow on me. At the moment, though, I, I do really, really like it. It just had some minor little things that I didn't love. Third act was sort of wearing on me. And like I said, the story does meander for a little bit until we get that third act reveal and then the tension's hyped up again. 
Uh, Thomas and McKenzie was weaker out of the two performances. She's good, but she's not fantastic. And I, I found her to be inconsistent now with the last couple of movies. I mentioned it with old. She's good on screen, but she's not fantastic. She's really good in Jojo Rabbit, but she fit that character really well. Where here, she's just sort of, I don't know. I don't want to say coaxing because it's the wrong word. But, yeah, she needs to do something drastically different. Um, even in the um, the Kelly Gang film that came out, she she wasn't, she doesn't stand out. She sort of fits into the scenes really well. And I would like to see her show a little gravitas because I think she's capable of it. And not that her character here, you know, suggested that she needed that. Uh, but a lot of her characters are starting to blend, you know, that they're kind of one in the same. And I don't know if she's being a little typecasted potentially, um, but, yeah, she, she needs to sort of branch out, do something uh, not drastically different, just something a little different. And, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> you know, Thomason, take criticism with a grain of salt. I, I'm not the one to tell you what you should be doing with your career. But I'm just saying that uh, I found her performance to be a little weaker than her on-screen counterparts. But very good film, and I'm going to give Last Night in Soho an 8 out of 10. Would recommend seeing it on the big screen if possible. It is a really good-looking film. And go and support your local cinemas because they are doing it tough. Uh, There's a lot of new releases coming out, which is really good. Uh, A lot of these cinema exclusives too, so people can't hide behind seeing it on streaming or renting it on box office or any of those things they actually have to go to the cinema and see it but that brings this review to a close um i did want to briefly touch on red notice because i've had a lot of people saying oh what did you think of red notice what 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 do you think of that film is it is it good is it and i don't know it's it's ryan reynolds and dwayne johnson doing their shtick it's so boring like i just so over those guys playing the same characters in everything they do i i I like Dwayne Johnson. I think that he's a likable dude, but man, oh man, is is that shtick just wearing thin for me? And Ryan Reynolds has played the same character in three movies this year. Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, Free Guy, and now Red Notice. He's the same dude in everything. And like, he's good at it, but please do something different. Like, I, I can't stress how annoying it is sometimes seeing an actor just do the same thing over and over again. Like Johnny Depp was doing it for a while. Um, There's a few actors. Ryan Reynolds has been doing it now since Deadpool, even before then. And it's just becoming really tired. Like he's good at it. Don't get me wrong, but do something different because it's becoming incredibly frustrating. And watching like the rock play this stern, you know, stoic hero. It's just, uh, it's grating. Uh, I, I would give that film like a three out of 10. It, it was mindless actions. It took me two sittings to get through it, which I think says something because it should be a fun action film, but the CGI was terrible. There's a sequence with some bulls. Um, yeah, but not a good movie. Um, that's my thoughts on Red Notice. So don't have to ask me what I think about Red Notice. I'm not reviewing it because I don't have enough to say, but I thought it was pretty bad. Uh, but yeah, that brings this review to a close, guys. Um, make sure you follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at OzMovieGeek. Send through any review suggestions you might have too because I'm always open to doing you know, a, a, a new film here and there and open to suggestions as well. Trying to get out and see as many films as I can before Christmas, but uh, some of the reviews might carry over till next year. I want to talk about Cowboy Bebop, but I don't know if I'm going to get it done before Christmas. So 
yeah, just wait and see what comes out. I've got plans, but whether or not I'll get to every film, especially with like films being released week to week now, you know, we have the Spider-Man No Way Home coming out. Uh, Welcome to Raccoon City. Dune comes out next week. Uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Like, I, I don't know if I'll talk about it I, again with Red Notice. I don't have a lot to say. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see what happens. But thank you again for listening, guys. And until next time, peace out.